this morning we're talking about a very deep passage, but I think it's important every single time we go into the Bible that we remind ourselves what the gospel is. Um, I have made a personal commitment to both me and to this church that I'm never going to throw out the word gospel flippantly like everyone knows what it is. The gospel is God's plan to save a wretched people by sending His Son to pay their debt and to pour out His wrath upon His Son on the cross instead of them so that by believing in Jesus Christ they might be counted free as if they never sinned and as if they had lived completely obediently by virtue of punishing His own Son instead of you. And I want to be careful with the word punish. It wasn't as if Jesus Christ was disobedient at all. In fact, that's the, that's the idea of the gospel. Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus was the only perfect person who ever lived. And um, I have lived in the Bible Belt my whole life. Raise your hand if you have to. Okay, most everybody. Except for Jonah. He's from Minnesota. Um, I live in the Bible Belt, and so I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I've known that Jesus died on the cross just about since I was four. But it took me a very long time to understand just how wretched I am. They never taught me that in the nursery. They taught me I was a good kid. Um, You've got to be careful because there was a lot of innocence in there. There's a lot of wretchedness in there, too. My kids, we've done this many times. I have, I'm the, the father of twins. Um, they ain't angels. And I didn't teach them that. Of course, they, they got a lot from me. I'm not absolving myself from that. But they didn't just pick it up socially. It is amazing to me, looking back at my life, how I could have been so blind at what a bad person I am. There's not one single person sitting in here right now who's a good person. No one. Now, what our sin does is it tends to look at the other person down at the end of the row and go, all right, at least I'm better than him. What we should do is we should look up and go, wow, I really am bad. And so Jesus dies on the cross so that when we look upon a blood-stained, nail-ridden Jesus, we go, that should have been me. Oh, His grace. Oh, His beauty. Oh, His power. Oh, His wisdom. And then we go, I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to believe in Him. Because that is where eternal life is. In a dead man. But He didn't stay dead. He rose. The reason I hash this out, one, is because we never grow tired of hearing the gospel at Haynes Creek. But we're going into a really deep passage of Scripture today. It's deep. We're in the last section of John 17. I've told you many times, this is our fourth week, I've told you many times I think this might be the deepest chapter in the Bible. That's saying a lot. I mean, there's some chapters in Romans that are pretty darn deep. But this one, one, I think, should be up there. 
it was staggering to me how many people had never heard a sermon series on John 17. And I'll, I'll think a lot of pastors go, John 3, hmm, okay, let's get to 20 now. All right. And they skip over 17 because it's, it's hard. It makes you use your brain. I think a lot of people want to read the Bible and they want little isms and they want quotable, tweetable little verses. And then they get down to John 17 and they're like, I, I don't even know what that is. Let's get to the cross. But we've got to grapple with this text. So week one, Jesus is praying to the Father. He's praying for those that the Father has given him. And week one, he says, Father, I have come to give them eternal life. Week two, he says, I have come to give them eternal life and I've given them your word. Week three, he says, I'm giving them your word, but I want them to stay in the world. And then today we're going to see that the reason why he prays all these things. And it's the unity of the church displays the unity of the triune God. So if you'll turn your Bibles to John 17, verses 20 through 26. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Before we read, a lot of you might be looking at that right now and you're like, that sounds really theological, I just don't know what it means. <laughs> But well, we're going to read God's Word. If you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit says, this is Jesus praying to the Father. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Wow. Verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, who is sufficient for these things? Not I. Not us. Father, we do not take the oracles of God lightly. We don't take the Bible lightly. We know that every word you have breathed out onto these pages. Father, open our eyes this morning. Give us wisdom. Father, not just knowledge. Father, I pray for wisdom so that we may understand what Jesus says when, it says, when he says that he is in you and he is in us. Father, these are such precious truths, and we take them not for granted. Please teach them to us now by your Holy Spirit. All these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. Well, I told you it was deep. And uh, if you've never been to Haynes Creek before, I do one thing before I ever get started, and that's... Well, I actually do three things every sermon. I tell you what I'm going to tell you, I tell you, and then I, told, I tell you what I told you. So here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? Here it is. 
God gives his church the unity that he enjoys with himself. And the oneness of the church tells the world about the love of God. If I had to break down that passage, that is what I would say. Let's read it again. God gives his church the unity that he enjoys with himself. And the oneness of the church tells the world about the love of God. God is both three and one. We've covered this before. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are not different modes of the same God. They are distinct persons, but yet they are also one. It's not like a three-leaf clover. It's not like water, ice, and steam. It's something you've never seen before, and you likely never will until you die if you are in Christ. God is both three and one, and Jesus the Son is talking to the Father, and what He's telling God the Father is, the way that we interact as a church, the way that we love one another, the way that we share our lives with one another, how united we are at Haynes Creek is designed by God to tell the world what God is like. So how close-knit the church is, how one of heart and one mind and one theologically, spiritually we are, when someone looks at the church, sees Haynes Creek, sees how together we are, that should tell them a little bit about what the living God is like. Church unity is important. Let's start with verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, so far in John chapter 17, Jesus has been praying for those whom he has been discipling in his earthly ministry. Now he's praying for those that will believe in him after he ascends to the Father. That's me and you. So in verse 20, Jesus is praying for all of those who would believe today. If you are in Jesus Christ, verse 20 was a prayer for you. Now look at the last three words in verse 20. Jesus prays for those who will believe in them, in him through their word. That means after Jesus leaves the earth and sends His Spirit, the saving word will be spoken by me and you. So the only way people come to Jesus, the only way people are saved in this life is by us taking the gospel to them. Let's read the next three verses, verses 21 through 23. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So God wants to give Christians the same unity that he has with himself. Church unity is a reflection of the unity between the Father and the Son. God gives His unity to us by giving us the Holy Spirit. Think about this for a second. Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So by participating in the Holy Spirit, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. By the Spirit of God, we are taking part in the life of God. Believers are caught up in the love and the power and the life of the triune God. When we believe in Jesus and God gives us His Spirit, He says, Welcome to the family. 
God's word and God's spirit are how he brings people into his family. This church right here, right now, we are not bonded by social class. We're not bonded by jobs. We're not bonded by race. We're not bonded by common interests. We are bonded by one thing, and that's believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior and being knit together by the Holy Spirit. That is the one thing we have in common right now. Because I'm looking right now, we ain't got much else than that. (laughs) And we all love coffee. That's about it. God wants the world to see us and go, oh, we got like engineers and we got like janitors and we got black and white. And what do you all have in common? And, and God wants the world to look in and go, those people are different. Hey, I want to know what's, what you have. I want to know why you're joyful. I want to know why you have such peace. I want to know why you guys are friends. I want to know why you guys keep showing up. I want to know why you guys are glad all the time and talking about this guy, Jesus. When the, when the church is unified, the world will know. When the church comes together, when the world won't, the world will come knocking and say, I want what you have. Because the world will never have that. In the world, our countries don't get along, our world leaders don't get along, our political leaders don't get along, our families don't get along, co-workers don't get along, some churches don't even get along. But God's church gets along. Church unity is not about singing kumbaya. Church unity is not about potlucks. Church unity is designed to tell the world about the love of God. Church unity is designed to save the world, y'all. Read verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Don't miss it. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe. If the church is not unified, the gospel loses its integrity. If the church is fighting, if the church is quibbling over who's brewing the coffee, if the church is quibbling over who didn't make donuts this time, if the church isn't getting along because so-and-so said something about them, if the church isn't getting along, the world will notice and they'll say, that gospel don't do nothing. That thing they believe, I can get that out here. When the church is strong and knitted together as one, when we are of one mind, when we're doing things for people who are different than us and we don't ask anything in return, when we're loving one another, spending our lives one another, tweeting one another, texting one another, calling one another, and we are together, the world says, I want that. Because they can't find true love. While the world is busy cursing each other and talking bad about each other and ripping each other, the church is serving one another and loving one another. You know, we talk so much about how we're to love the world, and we are. But you better love one another. Because if you don't love one another in Christ, you loving the world sounds very empty when they see how we treat one another. And we're not doing it under our own power. Church unity is Trinitarian unity. By the Spirit, we are being united to one another and to Christ as Christ is united to the Father. Can you see how harmful it is when, to the mission of Jesus and the will of God whenever Christians can't get along? Can you see how harmful it is to our message when we're telling people that we have something the world doesn't and then we're acting just like the world? 
Gossip, slander, grumbling, pride in the church tells a lie about God. But here's the goal. Verse 23. This is like one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. You know what? I just want to stop here and say I'm just going to break down every part of that verse. I in them and you in me. That means God, that means Jesus is in us and the Father is in Jesus, therefore the Father is in us. Can you believe that? I mean, look at that. I, he's talking to the Father. I in Christians and you, Father, are in me. Let's go to the next one. That they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and, oh, here's, here's the big kicker. Loved them even as you loved me. That means the Father loves Abitad today like he loves God the Son. God the Father loves me today similarly, I would say. I ain't going to say perfectly. But I'm found in God the Son so that when God the Father looks at me and says, why in the world am I going to treat that sinner, bring him into my kingdom, that wretched, puny, little rebel and God's son says no he's in me oh wait a minute so I'm going to treat him as if he had kept the law as if he were obedient as if Abitad were actually a good person that's amazing to me this is, this is a really profound thing I tried to break it down like this I don't know if any of y'all will get this go ahead and put that up there Chris Justification is the Father loving a law-breaking believer in Christ like He loves His very own law-abiding Son. Sanctification is becoming perfectly one with Christ and with His church as God is one. Does that make sense? This right here is what happened when I believed in Jesus. And we just go, this is This is deep. <laughs> This is what happened when I put my faith in Christ. This happens, this is an event. This here is a process, and it happens your whole life. A lot of people get these two confused. And so what they'll do is they'll start making this a process and trying to start earning God's love. But that doesn't happen. The father said he is well pleased with Abi whenever Abi put his faith in God's son. And then my entire life today is about conforming myself to the Son. You know, I would say this. This is deep stuff, but it ain't an option to understand it. God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. And He wanted you to read it, to understand it, and to come to know Him. The community of the church is designed to display the Trinity. Here's another way of putting it. The Christian life is being united to Christ by His Spirit, being united to the Father in Christ, and being united to one another in Christ by the Spirit. I knew it's deep, but John 17 is pretty deep. Can you believe that? Look at that. I am united to Christ today by His Spirit. I'm united to the Father because I'm in Christ, and I'm united to one another because we both all believe in Jesus and we're knitted together by the Spirit. If you are not believing in the gospel today, you're missing out on that. My relationship to the church today 
My relationship to those who believe in Jesus is designed to say far more about God than my relationship with my own dad. My relationship to Eddie, my relationship to Chris, my relationship to Charlene is designed to say far more about God than my relationship to my own mom. Because only one of those relationships is defined by the Spirit. Now, I want to be clear there. That doesn't mean that my relationship with my dad doesn't reflect the goodness of the Father and his character. And it doesn't mean that my dad isn't a believer and we share the Spirit. But the greater bond is the one that I share with Christians, not the one that I share in blood. The greater bond is the Spirit. The greater bond is not the blood that I share with my kin back in Kentucky. We say this all the time. A lot of you all, us, we don't get along with our families. Who doesn't get along with their families? I'm just kidding. Don't, don't say that. A lot of us don't get along with our families. A lot of our families don't like us. And we are in the midst of this constant struggle where we get along with everybody else but the people we're actually related to. And what God is saying is, it's okay Repent and believe in Jesus. Be reconciled to those whom you have disagreements with. But the true bond in this life, the true community is the one that you have with God's people, not the one you have with your own people. It is very possible that we could... You know what? I'm going to say this. My whole life, I kind of, I've never really fit in. I was, I played basketball and I was... Always kind of bad at basketball. I mean, I was good at basketball. I mean, I'd probably be really good down here. Y'all are not very good at basketball. <laughs> Georgia State, the only team from Georgia um, in the NCAA tournament. I'll explain what that is later. Um, I wasn't really good at basketball. Then I went to college, and I was a horrible fraternity member. Didn't pay my dues. Dad ended up having to pay those. Then I went to class, and I wasn't a good student at all. Then I went home, and I wasn't a good worker. I didn't move up in my job. I feel like I'm now starting to get you all to doubt, like, why is he here now? <laughs> I didn't fit in. I wasn't a part of things. I mean, I, I fit in different ways. I, had, I mean, I had friends, and I did co-curricular activities, and I did well at my job. My point is, I never really belonged until I belonged in the church. I was a misfit. And even when I was good at something, it wasn't worth dying for. I would die for every single one of you in here. I'd die for the ones out there. But I have a bond with my brothers and sisters in Christ that I don't share with unbelievers. And that bond has to speak to the glory and the love and the unity of God. There's something today... I will say this, and this is kind of how I wanted to say it. The closest unbelieving family, the most tight-knit unbelieving family, cannot reflect the identity and character of God. But even the smallest spirit-filled church is an embassy for the kingdom of God. Don't let the size of the church let, let it tell you anything about God's character. Let the love in the church tell you about who God is. I wanted to address something really quickly about something called mysticism. We're talking about being caught up in the inner life of God. We're talking about uh, participating in the Spirit. We're talking about being indwelled by the Spirit and having fellowship with the Father and the Son. A lot of people get Christianity confused with mysticism. Mysticism is an Eastern belief in being absorbed into God, a mindless experience that cannot be described in words. 
It's essentially like being taken up in God. We've got to be careful with that. John 17 is not about being absorbed into God. It's about partaking of God. And there's a big difference there. Sinners who are united in Christ do not become godded with God. We don't join ourselves to God's essence or His deity. We participate in the life of God. 2 Peter 1 says, Partakers of the divine nature. I don't know if you got that. Um, this is partakers. Partake is koinonoi, which is Greek, which is where we get the word fellowship. So salvation is fellowshipping with God and partaking in the life of God, but not being absorbed into God. I hope that makes sense. I don't become God by being saved in Christ. And heaven is not me becoming more God. We are, what did, what did he tell Adam? You are, you know, we are like God. Of course, that's also, I think, what Adam misunderstood in the, in the garden. He wanted to be God. But we have to understand that salvation is fellowshipping with God. And I think the most dangerous thing about mysticism is it's very mindless. People who are mystics have a lot of experiences with God. But when you ask them about it, they're like, well, I can't put it in words. It's just a feeling I have. Be careful. That's mysticism. Now, I want to be clear. There are many experiences in the Christian life that are indescribable. But God has given us every single thing we need to express our experience with God in His Word. So if you can't articulate your relationship with God in words, it must not be coming from God. Christianity is both a spiritual religion and a rational religion. It is worship in spirit and in truth. So it's not based on feelings and experiences, but it's also not academic. There are a lot of people I know today that will be like, Hey, get your hand down, you hoopla! It's church, not concert. I like to see hands up in here. It means the Spirit's moving. But there's also some people who are like, hey, I don't want you going to that seminary, that theology stuff. No, it's about personal relationship. Don't get caught up in all that stuff. Well, that sounds very mystic. We participate in God, in Christ, by the Spirit, through the Word. Verse 24 is an incredible verse. Father... I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the, word, of, of the world. When Jesus saves a sinner, he is inviting them into the eternal, internal glory of God himself. The Himalayan mountains. The Grand Canyon, which I really want to go to, I've never been. The Pacific Ocean, the trillions of stars at night. When I woke up this morning and I walked out to my car, the moonlight was shining, so I didn't even have to get out my phone. I could, I could see where I was going just because of the sun reflecting off the moon and giving me light to get to my car. That's glory of God. That's amazing. That's something we take for granted, but God did a thousand metaphysical, physical things so that I could put my keys in my car and go here. And that is but a foretaste of the glory that God has reserved for His elect. That is but a foretaste of the glory that is awaiting those in heaven. We talk all the time about how pretty it is in Georgia, how you can go two hours up and go to the mountains, you can go another two hours, you can be at the beach, go to two hours and go wherever BJ Guest is from. I don't know why people would go there, but there's a lot of gnats apparently. But you can go anywhere direction in Georgia and you can be in a new place. 
You all live in a fantastic state, and God has given it to us, not so that we would make idols of Georgia, but so that we would see Georgia and go, wait till God happens. Wait till heaven happens. The glory on earth is but a foretaste of the glory in heaven. Here's another way I tried to explain it. God is giving us his own glory. We will not become God. We will not be absorbed into God. We will not partake of his essence or deity, but we will participate in the life and glory of God. Be careful when someone says, uh, hey, you just got to let go and let God. I mean, I, I, get, I get what they're saying. Don't call him a heretic just because someone says that. It's, like it's a catchy verse or, or a saying. But be careful with that. Don't just let go. That's like the mystic's favorite saying. Because they don't have to use their mind and they don't have to explain what God is doing and they can rely completely on emotionalism. Don't let go so much that you forget God and who He is and His Word. This should give us new meaning to the word, to the phrase, being born again. We are being born again into a new family. We're being born again and the life of the Trinity is enveloping the, us for eternity. Not because we're becoming God, but because we're actually participating in the life of the Trinity. This is a lot of deep stuff, I know. Verses 25 through 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. You know what that tells me? We don't have a really good building here at this church. We don't have a paved parking lot. I don't know if you noticed that. I'm sure you did. We don't have bathrooms that are well insulated. I'm working on that. We don't have many things. We don't have the best equipment here at Haynes Creek. But if the full power of the triune God is with us, then who can be against us? If the love of God is behind us, then why are we complaining about our deck? If the full power of the triune God says, I am pouring my, the love of the Father that the Father has for the Son, I'm pouring into you the best spiritual blessings I have, I want for you, all the praise and honor and the well-pleasedness that I have for the Son, I'm giving to you everything the Son has, I'm giving to you, I'm giving you the best things I have from heaven. Why are we complaining about the gravel? Church is fueled, knitted together, and indwelled by the living God. You know, I want to be careful there. No one's complaining about the gravel. So some of you are going, is somebody complaining about it? I actually like the gravel. I'm fine. I'm fine with the gravel now. Okay. I'm not getting on anyone. I picked that one because it's I don't I've never heard anyone complaining about the gravel. I've talked to Bob. Maybe he can pave it. Um the point is. Our evangelism to the world, the reason we love hanging out with one another, the reason we can skip ball games and dance practices, the reason that people can look at us and be like, you're not going to go to the tournament? Well, actually, we're going to go to church. Well, why are you doing that? Because we love the church because the church is where we see the full life of God, the love between each other, the, 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 the word being preached. Worshiping with one another, praying with one another. The communion that the saints have together is irreplaceable. 
don't worship the church. But the church is where the spiritual blessings in the life of God are often found. Robbie Gallaty, a pastor in Tennessee, says this. 82% of unchurched people say they would attend your church if they were invited. Problem is, only 2% are inviting them in the last year. That's convicting. That means 98% of people have not invited someone to church in the last year. I think the reason so few people invite others to church is not because they're stooges and they have no friends. I think it's because we have such a low view of God. We think we're inviting people to a worship experience or for the coffee or for um, the donuts or for a social gathering. But someone who's exposed to God's church isn't just getting a social experience. When we invite people to church, we're giving them a small glimpse into the life and glory and unity of God. I want to be careful there as well. The church isn't a building. It's not like we have to come here on a Sunday. But when God's people get together and praise Jesus, the world should go. They should do one of two things. Those people are kooks. Those people, I want what they have. Church unity, I wanted to end with this. Church unity is, is not just about potlucks. It's about showing the world the love of God. And when the church cannot get along, when people who are in Christ, who have had their sins forgiven, who are adopted into the family of God, when we can't get along with one another, what does that say about the living God? This morning, if you have not committed yourself to being a part of a local church, it may be that you're resisting the unity and the glory and the love of God. Because there is, if God's design is for his people to be a part of church, to reflect his character and his will, then what does that say about someone who's claiming to be a Christian but doesn't go to church? I invite this morning anyone who has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, anyone here in this, in, right now who has not confessed with their mouth and believed on him for their salvation, all you got to do is believe in the cross of Jesus Christ and be saved. For anyone who has not done that, you're not just saved abstractly. You're saved into a family. You're saved into a church. You are born again into a new family for a new world. And all the spiritual blessings of God await those who can but repent of their sins and believe in Him. Let's pray. Father, we worship You by Your Word. According to Your Word, we worship You by the Spirit Father, we know that we could not produce an ounce of worship if it wasn't by your power. We could not produce an ounce of love in our hearts if it wasn't by the Holy Spirit. We could not be unified any more than a Hardee's is unified if it wasn't by the Holy Spirit. Father, the church is so much more than a social organization. It is not a country club. Father, Protect our hearts. Let us not treat your church as mundane. Father, give us hearts of love, kindness, looking to serve one another. Let Haynes Creek be the most unified body of people 
in Newton County and let the world see our love, let the world see our kindness, our togetherness, our oneness, and let them know that we believe in the one who came from you. Father, it's our, it's our prayer this morning for anyone who has not believed in Jesus that they may see the unity of the church and they may long for you. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.